one day I decided to ask myself, could I break five minutes in the mile? At age 30, could I return to the sport of track and go after my unmet goal of breaking five minutes? Was my body capable of this? Was my mind capable of this? And most importantly, was my spirit capable of pushing through the ups and downs to find the answer? You are listening to Breaking Five, a running podcast, where we search for this answer as well as yours for achieving your Breaking Five moment, whatever that may be for you. We will gain inspiration and knowledge from others who have achieved their Breaking Five moment, those working towards theirs, as well as those who have helped the athletes along the way. I'm your host, Kristen Schultz, physical therapist, runner, and running coach. Let's run full force towards our wildest dreams and take a listen to today's episode. All right, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Five, a running podcast. Today, I have another podcast host. I have AJ Cohen here with me. AJ is a physical therapist and run coach out in Fort Collins, Colorado. He is the owner of Up and Running Physical Therapy, and he also has his own podcast, like I said, uh, the Making Strides podcast. So make sure to check that out as well. AJ, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I always like to mention that uh, Adam Schwert is also, yes. you know, just as much of the Making Strides podcast as me, but yeah, we do that together and it's, it's super fun and it's a lot of work. So I really, you know, um, like what you do is just a ton and this podcast is awesome what you do with it. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm yeah so excited to have you on. Um, Adam was one of my first like interviewees yeah, he said um, that, that I yeah. had on the podcast, like way back. It was kind of random to be I'm like, I didn't really know him that well. It's like, Hey, you want to come on my podcast? We we're just chatting one day. Um, so yeah, exactly. So brought him on and uh, super cool. But yes, yeah, so this is the co-host of with with Adam. So AJ, I know we're going to chat a lot. We're going to be chatting a little bit on some you know running injury related stuff, but we're also going to be diving into. So you know, AJ's a business owner too, physical therapist. He's a new dad. He's a you know competitive runner. We're going to be diving into in the second part of this episode on like, how do you juggle this all? So for any other business owners, anyone just like super busy in their life, you know, listening, make sure to tune in for that part um, as well. But AJ, if you wouldn't mind, if you could just introduce yourself a little bit about yourself um, to get going and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So I started up and running physical therapy after doing a lot of time coming out of school, went straight into skilled nursing type stuff, trained more for hospital-based stuff, just couldn't get a job there out here. Nobody was leaving, I guess. And, um, so that was a shame and a waste of training, but, uh, got into skilled nursing, did management stuff, but eventually that wasn't filling the gap in my soul that I needed to just work with runners and athletes and, and, uh, in the way that I wanted. So started up and up and running physical therapy in April of 2018 and, uh, did it out of my house as kind of like a side gig for about nine months or, um, yeah, about that. And then I, uh, found a space in a rock climbing gym so I have about 240 square feet in a rock climbing gym with this huge like glass window. You could see all the climbers, I, all my cool. patients and the clients that get distracted while we're <laughs> talking all the time. But, uh, um, and then, uh, you know, it's right. Like just through my back door is this, like, I think it's like 5,000 square foot weight room that I get full access to with all Very of my cool. patients and stuff. So, yeah. And that, you know, I do my bread and butter is rehab um, and getting, you know, injured runners m- mainly about 90% of my clientele has always been, you know, runners. Um, and then also, you know, a bunch of other types of active adults and athletes. I get a lot. There's a jujitsu gym that sends me a lot of people. I'm in a climbing gym and I am a, a, a 
you know, I was in the past more of a big climber. This year is all about running, but, but I, I see a lot of climbers as well, but they are a lot harder to get in the clinic than um, the runners. I don't know why I have some <laughs> theories, but uh, you know, I'm a climber, so I can say this, but the climbers are kind of like cheap and like dirt baggy. They're and, even cheaper than runners. Yeah, I mean, yeah runners totally. <laughs> they're less likely to like be proactive about treating themselves and taking care of their health. Anyway, so that's what I do. And I also am a running coach. Uh, I usually have somewhere between this whole year, I've been averaging about 20-ish coaching clients at any given time. And they're training for every anything from just like consistency, staying healthy because they've never been able to train for a full year without getting injured, all the way to people training for 100 mile races in the mountains. So, and just everything in between. So it's kind of fun. Super cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And you, did you say this was like back in 2019 that you started? Was 2018 is 2018. when I opened my business in my home. And then uh, January, February, 2019, I moved into the climbing gym and, and then and quit my full-time job. Very cool. Okay. So that's when you quit then. So you started 2018 and then a little bit of a ramp up while you're like in skilled nursing, it sounds like, you know, over there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Hey, like, you know, we gotta, I know, I think you said like, I don't know if you said a waste of time, whatever, but Hey, it's it's learning. And now you got this awesome, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And I developed a lot of leadership skills, doing management stuff in that type of setting. And, uh, actually was in like a really beautiful, like rehab to home setting. And they were opening another amazing facility and they, the builders went bankrupt and they, we ended up losing the building. So that was my job I lost because I was slated to be the rehab director there. And okay. I was like, ah, what am I doing with my life? And that's <laughs> when I was like, let me start this business I've wanted to start. That's anyway. awesome. I love what, yeah, I like what, like, I mean, I think a lot of people started their business last year, like from like the pandemic too, right? Like things like this happen and, you know, push us into doing what we really want to do. So yep, totally. super cool. What, have you always had a passion for running? I don't think I even know your running background. Like when did you start running? Yeah, you know, I've always... I mean, intermittently ran and trained for sports, you know, which involves running and, but, you know, in my early teens and, and middle teen years. Um, so my, my dad got into running kind of late in life. He was in his forties, early forties, probably. And so, um, by the time he was kind of into it and inviting me to like random five K's and 10 K's, I don't even remember what kind of times I was putting up or anything like that. I just remember kind of just showing up and listening to iron maiden and <laughs> just like trying to run these races on a random weekend. Uh, not training for them or anything. Um, so then I, you know, through high school, I mainly did wrestling, but wrestling, you know, I ran probably 15 to 20 miles a week during the season, um, you know, training for wrestling and also trying to make weight for wrestling in the form of running with, with trash, trash bags on and stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, um, all the crazy I, thing wrestlers have to do. Oh I'm not proud of my wrestle, some of my wrestling years, but, um, and then, uh, basically went to college also wrestled for two years in college, but I basically went from being probably like the best on my high school team, um, <laughs> and to maybe second worst on my college team. Cause I went to a D one school. It was triple A, okay. but it was still D one. And I walked okay. on. So they would, um, my coach, our coach in, in college would eventually every once in a while, he'd be like, Hey guys, run to my house and back or whatever. And, uh, we're like, Oh no. Cause it was like eight miles, but you know, we'd always do it. <laughs> and I actually didn't mind it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I didn't mind it all that much. And I'd always get back. And, and so the other wrestlers on the team, uh, in college, they would, you know, haze me or make fun of me a little bit and playfully, <laughs> um, more or less. And they'd be like, Oh, AJ, you should just quit wrestling and just do You know, join the cross country team. And, uh, I always thought about it. I was like, oh, maybe I will, but no, I quit wrestling after two years and did the opposite of running, which was 
uh, you know, a competitive Olympic style weightlifting. Oh, very and cool. <laughs> I was really successful with that for, for two years until I busted my wrist enough to be like, Oh, I'm done with this. And then I started running. Okay. So this is maybe like 2012, 2013 now. So then just started running, um, just a lot, you know, did a half marathon, then a marathon, then a 50 K in 2014. And then, and, you know, it just escalated. So now I just yeah. do lots of uh, trail and ultra races is my jam kind of. So awesome. That's what I thought I was going to ask if you're mainly like more like ultra on trail and like, you have an awesome place to do that at <laughs> Absolutely. Fort Collins. Yeah. Last year was with the baby being a, a lot younger last year, I didn't do any ultras. I did. Um, instead I trained for a trail marathon in Moab uh, at the end of the year, but also along the way did a, a trail half marathon and then a road half marathon last year and a couple of shorter trail races. But, um, but now kids old enough, I'm able to train more, um, relatively speaking and just, yeah. So this year's a little different back to trail. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. So yeah, you have definitely have like a background in different sports until leading you to running. Um, I think I do remember actually reading your post on the Olympic style lifting. I don't know if I ever knew about the wrestling side, but I think I remember you put that in a post at some point. Yeah. Uh, so do you Probably. still do Olympic style lifting or do you incorporate that into your client's plans at all? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, the Olympic lifts, not, not, not really programming that for athletes, uh, all yeah. the time. <laughs> Um, unless they want to do that, uh, it, you know, and they have a passion for improving their skill in that kind of realm. And the reason is because it is so highly technique driven that um, it's hard enough to get runners to do any sort of regimented <laughs> strength training, yeah. but getting them to do these highly technical lifts like the snatch and the clean and jerk are, are, you know, that's just, a, you, you basically need a, a, a motivation and passion for that in yeah. order to really get that kind of piece dialed in. So yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I don't do a whole ton of it anymore. I do, I do want to get back to doing it more. Um, the biggest limiting factor has honestly been my, my wrist is mm. still to this day, like messed up. And I know everybody in the podcast can't see this. <laughs> That's and okay. Even people on in the video, group, but like, <laughs> I have this, this is like my scaphoid bone, like subluxing out. here, like it's sticking out. Yeah. It, I mean, I get a lot of weight bearing kind of pain. So if you think of like uh, that rack position for the, yeah, clean, or like the snatch, right. That extended forceful wrist extension is really painful for me still. What did, how did you, you injured it? I mean, doing super chronic hair, overuse, oh, like just chronic no overuse. trauma, okay. just, just catching like, you know, tons of weight in a, in a clean position. Maybe I didn't have enough ex, uh, you know, external rotation in my shoulder or like uh, you know, wrist supination or, or there was some sort of limiting factor maybe in my yeah. mobility somewhere. Right. Right. And I, I think my wrist took the brunt of it over the years. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Hey, it's a cool background to have. If you ever do have a runner that really wants to do Olympic style lifting, totally, like, yeah. Hey, then you got that background. You can do that with them. So yeah. super cool. Awesome. And then your own running goals, uh, mainly so ultra trail based, do you have anything coming up right now yourself? Yeah. A week from today, I'm going to be running the never summer 60 K. So okay. it's, a, it's about 36 mile race in some rugged, rugged mountains, uh, <laughs> North kind of, or yeah, kind of North, but mainly West of Fort Collins here about two hours. Okay. Um, there's I think 8,000 feet of climbing, something like that. It's attached to a hundred K, which gets all the attention. The hundred K I've done three times. It's one of my favorite races ever. It's so beautiful and rugged and remote. And it, it's just, amazing an amazing race but i chose to do the 60k this year because um in i i think seven weeks out from the race or so i have um 
my main, my A race this year, which is the run rabbit run hundred miler. Okay. So this is basically going to be like a training build up, training run. I call it a training run. And I, I used to make fun of people who called races training runs. Cause they just, I, I felt like they just used it as an excuse um, <laughs> <laughs> to not do like not do well or whatever. So, yeah. um, but I do, I do want to be kind of, you know, fairly competitive at the, as competitive as I can at this never summer 60 K maybe, I don't know, maybe go top 10, something like that, but we'll see. Yeah. It, I just want to do my best. That's all, really all that matters. I want to feel yeah. like I executed well. And if that happens to be top 10, I'd be super happy. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, good luck. I hope, yeah, that sounds exciting. I cannot imagine running that far. It's like, okay, good. I've done one marathon. That's my longest race. So we're good. That's awesome. That's huge too. Yeah. <laughs> but awesome. Do you treat a lot of trail runners then with your, you know, your background with, you know, trail running and ultras then? Yeah, absolutely. And basically when I started my business, a lot of my initial like uh, clients and patients that, that, that came in were straight from like the trail and ultra community, just because I was a bigger part of that. Yeah. Um, you know, an ambassador for the local group. Um, a lot of people just knew me and they're like, Hey, AJ's doing his own PT. Now I'm going to go there. Yeah. Cause I've had this issue. Um, yeah. and that was a lot of my early kind of, um, clients, but now it's, it's a, it's a, a decent mix because I am more involved in the trail and ultra community, but yeah. Um, but there's just, if that's still like the small niche in this grand scheme of like running and then even bigger scheme of like endurance athletics. So, yeah, but yeah, for sure. It's, I'd say it's an even mix right now. Yeah. But I think that's just such a good point. Cause same thing for me, like when I first started coaching in my in-person PT that I was doing for a bit, like they all came from people I already knew. Cause I was pretty involved in the community where I was living in um, North Dakota at the time. And I think, I don't know, it's just one of those, like, yeah, we got social media now and there's all this thing you can do, but it's like one of the first things you should do if you're not connected to your community, like that's, you know, you're missing a big, big part of getting new clients. So <laughs> I know that's, I, yeah, it's, I can't imagine moving anywhere, you know, like, like, Oh my God. Like if I had to move, I'd have to start from start over. Like I can't imagine. Cause I had, I had, I'd been part of the Fort Collins trail runners for, for like four years, um, before I started my business. So I can't imagine not having that, you know, that as a, as a, you know, leverage to start my business. Yeah, no, super helpful for sure. Um, just cause I'm curious, I know we're, we'll get to the, the run stuff too, but what, how is it like living in Fort Collins? Like, I just feel like that would be pretty cool. Like, is that just trails out your door? You have to drive to them or what that okay. yeah. So, so everybody thinks of like the quintessential mountain town in Colorado. On the I have been there by the way. Too, but yes. Fort Collins. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But everybody thinks of like this typical mountain town being like Boulder, Colorado, right. Where it's yeah. just like literally these peaks straight from the edge of town. It goes straight up and trails everywhere. And, uh, Fort Collins is not like that. Um, yeah. we still have some, some great trails, but the edge of town is basically, we have a hog back, like a hill, basically. Okay. Um, it's a couple hundred feet. And then we have the six mile long reservoir, which is great for water sports and swimming and stuff like that. But to get to like the, the bigger mountains behind that, which still aren't as big as like the mountains by, by Boulder. To put that in perspective, there's like maybe 15 to 1700 feet of vertical change from trailhead to summit. Whereas in Boulder, there's like 3000 plus. But to get to those, you have to drive all the way around this six mile reservoir. Uh, okay. But from my house, like living on the west side of Fort Collins, I can get to the trailhead of Horsetooth Mountain in, you know, 13 minutes or so. So it's, okay. it's not bad. Okay. And that's where you run. From. I don't know. I always see your, your stories or your posts. You're always on the mountains. So yeah. if I'm up in what looks like legit mountains, it's probably yeah. Horsetooth and Lori. 
Okay. State, uh, so Horse Youth is like a county park, but then uh, Lori is a state park. But um, I will do a lot of some of my running around the little, they call it the Foothills Trail or that little hog back. He'll have some tra- trails in front of it and on it a little bit. The town itself is great. There's tons of bike trails to run on. So I'm running with my stroller because I take my kid, you know, training um, anywhere between like 20 and 30 miles a week, probably with him. And he's just in the stroller and I just go on the bike trails, the bike paths, which are, which are great. The, the bike path system here is amazing. So no, awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks. I'm just but curious. I guess <laughs> I brought up Boulder. So I should bring up the fact that like, I would never, even if I had the chance move to Boulder because okay, that's the, community, <laughs> the community, the community, the, 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 even the, just the businesses and the feel and like the attitude of people up here and everything is just, I feel like so much better than, than Boulder. And okay. there's so much less traffic because everybody wants to go to Boulder. So everybody in the Denver metro area is going to Boulder every weekend. Gotcha. But Collins is so much more chill and everybody's nicer. And, yeah. Um, it's just great for families and stuff like that. They got, they got good breweries there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Everywhere in Colorado, I think. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. I'll take note of that. That's you know, <laughs> good to know. Is, is Adam, is he, he's down in. He's in Colorado Denver? Springs. Oh, Colorado Springs. I couldn't remember. Okay. Yeah. So yep. I'm like an hour North of Denver in Fort Collins. Yeah, and he's and like he's an hour local. South of Denver in, in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on, you know, some things that would be helpful for any runners that follow me. Um, cause yeah, AJ, AJ is a wealth of knowledge in this realm and I always love learning from your posts and seeing everything you're doing. Um, and so I was just looking at a couple of his, you know, recent posts and stuff. And one thing that I wanted to ask you about, you know, if, for any advice you have for any runners out there is how do you feel like your rehab perhaps like differs from like a you know typical PT per se, or like a typical, like, you know, runners rehab program. Um, if any, if, if you think it's, you know, but how does it differ the people that you're rehabbing in, in your clinic? Yeah, absolutely. I know that, I, I mean, I'm positive you've had, you know, out of network or cash-based practitioners on here. And yeah. so, so there's the Maybe obvious similar to them, but yeah, well, exactly. In terms of practice setup and, and quality of care and one-on-one time, all of that is, is, you know, very much way better than a traditional in-network clinic, right? So the typical stuff of, you know, part of my sales spiel to people is, you know, I'm different than a traditional clinic and I can't speak to any of your previous PT experiences, but, um, you know, as an out-of-network practitioner, we're able to spend more time with patients. Um, You know, you're not doing, you're not just like handed off to an aide or an assistant who's going to have you do these, like what I, you know, geriatric kind of boring exercises every time. Um, you know, yep. when, when I'm working with folks, it's, it's always completely one-on-one with me, a doctor of physical therapy the entire time. Um, I'm not making people come two to three times a week. I tell them, yeah. like, I don't want you to be relying on me. I want to empower right. you with the education, the tools, the resources, the techniques, the exercises to basically for you to be in charge outside of here, which is ultimately where you're going to make the most progress, especially in the long term. And I'm kind of like your consultant, your guide, your, you know, holding your hand through this process and making sure that we're getting the results and on the right path. And so that all that stuff is, is, you know, like I said, more or less similar in terms of that preservation of quality of care with other out of network providers or cash-based PTs. But then when it comes to runners and stuff, lots and lots of PTs like to work with runners. (laughs) And I tell people this too. I'm like, look, every PT is going to want to work with runners. Runners are active and fit and healthy and, and just uh, motivated. And so (laughs) um, there are PTs, there are general, a lot of generalist PTs who like to work with runners and, and maybe think they know a lot about working with runners, but there is so much misinformation, 
harmful misinformation that gets thrown around all the time in the healthcare community. And runners are every single runner that walks in my door. When I consult with them initially, they are telling me these harmful kind of nocebo kind of things that they've heard. (laughs) Yeah. That's harming them either from a psychological perspective, Mm -hmm. um, from a relationship with their running perspective or from a relationship with their body. Um, you know, all of this type of stuff, it like just the really simple uh, thing that I hear so much is people are like, Oh, well, the last PT, you know, said my, my hamstrings are too, too tight. So it's pulling on my low back and that's anteriorly tilting and out of whack, putting my pelvis out of whack and rotating this forward. So then I need to get my pelvis reset every, you know, like, no, we don't have science to back that up. It's it's, I mean, there's stuff on that too. Exactly. There's stuff (laughs) on that. And they think that they're like, they think of themselves like a broken down car that needs to be realigned. Um, when in reality, we're strong, resilient, adaptable humans. And so anyway, so there's a lot of practitioners out there who think they, you know, who like to work with PTs, but there's a difference between a a PT who likes to work with runners and then a PT who is specialized and really knows running. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, you know, I just tell people, look, like I'm working almost exclusively with runners and I've really gone to, you know, greater, efforts to better my understanding of the treatment and best practice of working with runners. And so is, is that something you want to, you want? Um, and yeah, so that's part of that sales process too. Yeah. Do you have any tips for like a runner? And I kind of went over this actually at my like last podcast interview too, but any tips for any runners, like, Oh, how do I know like that you're specialized in running or like this person says they work with runners too, you know, like any, like, you know, ways to know. (laughs) Yeah. It's tough. Um, I think honestly, first off, like, you know, ask them if they run themselves, although I will preface that with like, I know plenty of very talented endurance athlete providers and they are not great, you know, not the best PTs. They help people for sure. They're great people, but like they're not specialized and, and they are helping to, to perpetuate this misinformation in the community. Um, but I think it's step one, just be like, Hey, tell me about your running. What are you training for? What are you doing? Hey, if they're not doing much running, maybe they have a reason for that, whatever. And you can be a really good running practitioner and not be running a whole ton too. But, um, but I think that's a good question, um, because then you get like their passion for this sport and stuff like that too. But, um, when it comes to clinical practice and skill and stuff like that, it's hard. I, you could just at, you could ask them like, Hey, how do you stay up to date on what's best, best practice for runners? How do you continue to learn what's best for runners? What is your education? You're specialized. Like, how are you special? You say you're specialized in working with runners. How, like, yeah, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, ask those types of questions. Yeah. But I think it's all helpful. It's like, I wouldn't know what to ask of like, say a different, I mean, a non-PT if I'm going in for who knows what, like an eye something, I don't know, but like, same thing, I guess anyone out there needing PT, we don't really know what to ask or what to look for. So I think that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think asking people kind of who they've learned from, right. And if they don't have multiple names that they can, you know, you don't even have to know who these names are, but yeah, if they're not, you, you, you want to shy away from the people who think that they kind of know everything in, you know, innately or whatever, or, you know, you just, the answer you want to hear that question is, Oh, you know, I've learned a lot of this stuff from this guy. And I, this guy really hones my approach with the strength training side of things. And and this, and you really want somebody with an eclectic approach. Yep. Yep. No, I love that. Awesome. Thanks. Well, I have a question for you after this, because you just said something, who do you like to learn from, from a strength training side of things, or what kind of approach do you like to take on your strength training? (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's funny because I do have such a very varied approach um, from like the stuff I've learned on you know in my collegiate athletics, and, you know, yep. including the wrestling and the and mainly the strength and conditioning. So my strength and conditioning coach back in college, Joel Quintong, but um, he's not like an educator or anything like. Well, yeah, he's not a strength training educator, so to speak, other okay. than outside you know outside of his coaching role. But you know, people like Dan John and like yep. obviously like we we have a kind of a common mentor of like Chris Johnson, you know, and, yep. and Nathan Carlson, who, who they really have taken a lot of different approaches to, to create their approach. And so, you know, I just think that having a couple of people to call you out, hold you accountable and just bounce stuff off of as well yep. uh, from a, from a, any sort of approach perspective um, can be really, really helpful. Um, you don't yep. want to try and learn things on your own. I mean, only on your own. You want, you want to really, lean on others as well. Yeah. And I think it can help to have like multiple people you're bringing in information from too, you know, not just all one-sided approach, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, all right. So you had a recent post about you being a heel striker. Oh my goodness. Oh no. Um, you, oh, said the no. H- you said the H word. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, how many runners come in and are like, Oh, well, I'm a heel striker. So I think I need to, you know, change that up. Can you expound upon that a little bit and why that's okay that you're a heel striker? <laughs> okay. So first off there, I forget what study this was, but it's like almost half, almost half of runners inaccurately report their, their striking pattern. Okay. So if you think you strike your foot in a certain way, don't be so sure unless you've had it professionally looked at. Okay. Mm-hmm. And running store video running analysis by a college student or any sort of running store clerk without, you know, further. <laughs> that was me at one point. <laughs> yeah. You can't, that's not, that, that doesn't count. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with heel striking. It is by far the most versatile, you know, common striking pattern there is. And it is used across all different um, experience levels and speeds and all the way up to the elite level. I think that we see a little, like a slight drop in the amount of heel strikers at the elite level, but just by a couple percent, it's almost like nine out of 10 or something like that in the general population, like eight to nine, I don't know, eight out of 10 or something like that in elites, but midfoot striking or flat foot, flat footed kind of striking, maybe a little bit more common, but true forefoot striking. I almost rarely see that. And I think in the, you know, in the research, they categorize this a lot as just like rear foot striking and non rear foot striking. Right. So yeah, there's nothing, I think we, we just have to be a little bit more concerned about maybe how, like where they're striking, right. If somebody's over striding, but a lot of people don't even really know what that necessarily looks like. Right. Um, but heel striking and, and over striding should not be used synonymously. That is, that's just not the case. So heel striking is just simply which part of your you know, foot um, strikes first and towards the rear of the foot striking first. Um, that's a heel strike, no matter where it's striking underneath your center of mass, a foot in front of your center of mass, it doesn't really matter. But over striding is going to be more of this concern where um, if we're thinking about running economy or excessive, uh, you know, peak forces at impact and stuff like that, um, some more of these biomechanical factors, that's where that might play more of a role. So, you know, I have folks, I do tons and tons of video running analysis and, you know, we get that side or sagittal plane view and uh, that video from the side, I'll take a still or a, you know, screenshot of their point of initial contact. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the first thing they say is, yeah, oh, I'm a heel striker. I know. And I'm like, no, don't worry about that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but this is, you know, let's just look at a couple of angles. And so we'll, we'll measure their shin angle with respect to vertical. We like to see that within 10 degrees. 
Yep. And then, um, you know, if we, if we see that their knee is fairly extended, um, then, you know, if it's straighter than, so less than like 15 to 20 degrees of knee flexion at initial contact. Right. And sometimes also they'll get some marked dorsiflexion at initial contact as well. And those are, that's kind of going to be more of a helpful determining factor. And if somebody's overstriding or not. So, you know, let's just say somebody's like 12 degrees shin angle, maybe like eight degrees of knee flexion and initial contact. We have, they have that marked dorsiflexion. Um, and if they, especially if they're coming in for like knee pain, it's just like, this is slam dunk. Let's, let's just up <laughs> your step rate a little bit. Right. Yep. So we always want to look at that stuff and their step rate, right? So if it's somebody who's like, I don't know, somebody shorter, let's just say, I don't know, five, four, five, five, and they have, and they're running like an 830 pace and their step rate is like 160, right? And then they have this 12 degrees of of shin angle and then a more straight knee, right? Maybe eight or 10 degrees of knee flexion Um, and they have knee pain. I'm just like, holy moly, like this is huge. Like, yeah you know, let's just give them a metronome, see how they do with upping their <laughs> step rate. And then sometimes like almost immediately they have some, some symptom resolution, right? Yep. So um, that's going to be just, that's just an example of like how that could be more beneficial uh, yep. of a way to look at it than just heel strike or forefoot strike. I love it. And so you're talking about overstriding a lot. So for any of the runners, you know, listening that maybe haven't heard of overstriding before, I mean, maybe they, most of them have, but how would they know that they're overstriding? Yeah. You know, I honestly, it's, I wouldn't worry about it. If you, especially if you don't have pain, I wouldn't yeah. worry about it. So most runners tend to, so if you're a newer runner, you've just been running maybe one, two, three years um, your body's still going to be optimizing the way that you run, finding the most efficient way for you to move within your specific anatomy, um, right within your specific strengths and your specific bone lengths and the amount of femoral torsion you have. And like, everybody's so different. And so your body's just going to be figuring out the best way to run. So I kind of use this example. It's kind of a bad analogy, I guess, maybe, but, um, it's like, if you never had anybody teaching you how to swing a golf club, but you just kept trying to swing a golf club, your first swing of a golf club is going to look a lot messier <laughs> Then you're going to end up cleaning that up. Like you're just going to, your body's going to be like, Hey, I can swing more efficiently. If I do this, every, yep. you know, every 20 swings, 30, 40, hundred swings, your body's going to look for ways to kind of improve your inefficiencies. Now, I don't know a whole ton about golf, but I'm just using it as an example. Yeah. So definitely, uh, I'm not saying you know, like golf is definitely very technique oriented and you definitely need to, to work on that a whole ton, probably to get it really good. But with running, the more running that you're doing, um, it, that concept is the same where you're just the more repetitions, the more, uh, kind of efficiency you're, you can, you can kind of develop. So anyway, if, if, if you haven't been running all too long and you don't have pain, you're probably going to be fine as long as, I mean, if you happen to have somebody who knows what they're doing, look at your running great, but I wouldn't stress about it. But if you do have pain at any given time, it would definitely be important for whoever's working with you, you know, in a PT setting and a rehab setting to look at how you're running and see if there's any sort of connection there. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. I love it. Anything else you wanted to say there? I think we did good. We, we dove in pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> what, um, what, how do you kind of, turning corners here. How do you like to train your runners that you coach? Do you like to use a lot of RPE training? Do you use heart rate training? What's your approach? Yeah. So I, I definitely, okay. The reality is that almost all runners, I feel like are using, you know, miles and pace, Mm -hmm. um, pretty much all of them. 
And so with that said, all of the clients that I onboard are pretty much used to that. Now, what I usually say is, you know, are you familiar with RPE? And they're usually like, no. So um, (laughs) I try to explain RPE, but even explaining RPE or rating of perceived exertion is going to be uh, a little bit difficult to really reflect on like, like, hey, this is what it feels like to run at a six. This is what it feels like to run at a seven out of 10. And just to clarify, there is like the Borg RPE, right? Where it's like six to 18, right? Yep. And that's supposed to be loosely correlated yep. to heart rate. I, that's not what I use. It's a little bit more complicated. Yes. You can just uh, simplify that by using the, the that 11 point kind of scale, right? Zero to 10, or I guess 10.1 to 10 yep. um, scale where it's just the modified RPE scale. So what I do for this reason, and I stopped for a while because of COVID and people wearing masks on the treadmill just doesn't work very well, especially for a maximum ramp test. Um, so, <laughs> but I do like to do a ramp test or a maximum heart rate test with my, with my new athletes. And that's because, you know, and so what really quickly, what that is, is we'll get them on the treadmill and we'll do two minute stages of increasing difficulty. We'll typically start at just like a 1% incline standardize that until we get to about stage four, we try to hit their like 5k effort level at stage four ish or eight to 10 minutes in. And then what we'll do then is we'll maintain that speed and we'll increase the, the, the incline by 1% every stage until fatigue or, you know, termination. (laughs) So, um, so basically most people end up terminating between like 12 and 14 minutes in. And uh, so, but what we do is at the end of every stage, I I flash them like a visual for the RPE scale. And I say, Hey, give me a number, no 0.5s, no, no ranges. Just give me a solid number. What is it? And they're like, no six or whatever. And then I take a heart rate and not optical heart wrist-based. I take, you know, we make sure we use a chest strap. Yeah. So, um, and then at the end, what we have is we have, you know, stage one, two, three, four, whatever, let's just say all the way to stage seven or something like that. And we have a heart rate that's incrementally increasing. If they hit that, if the way we know we hit maximum heart rate, um, is typically where they hit that kind of like 10 out of 10 level of RPE. And that we also typically get a little bit of a plateau of their heart rate. So an increase in workload with a less of that incremental increase um, yeah. in, in, in heart rate. So yeah. like if they're at nine miles an hour, 3% incline and their heart rate is one, 182. And then we go to the next level, which would be like nine miles an hour, 4% incline. And it only, it stays at like 182, 183 then yeah. we know that that's probably their max. Um, anyway, so then we just look and I'm like, hey, you know, stage three, you gave yourself a four, but then stage five, you, five, you, you rated your RPE like a, like a six mm-hmm. or a seven, right? Now, if you were to reflect back on what that four was or that seven was, which, would you change either of those? Oh yeah, that four was definitely like a five or a six. I'm like, okay. And I'm, and I'm like, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. I just want you to reflect on how that felt because- yeah. Now this kind of relates to your question because how I'm going to program for you is I'm not going to tell you to go run miles at a certain pace. Yeah. I'm going to tell you to go run time at a certain effort. So, mm-hmm. you know, 60 minutes endurance, right? And I simplify the RPE even more into five different categories. Okay. So like RPE three to four is what I call easy. So if I say yep. easy 60 minutes, that means RPE three to four for 60 minutes. Yep. Endurance is uh, five to six. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do tempo. I usually call like a seven out of 10 yep. hard or sorry, seven, to eight, uh, sorry, seven, to eight is a tempo. Okay. Um, then like eight to nine is what we call hard. That might be where yeah. we do 
more, um, it just depends on the person, right? But like threshold intervals are maybe more of that seven to eight, you know, VO2 max intervals, more of that eight to nine. Yeah. Um, and then 10 out of 10, I'm not doing a whole ton of 10 out of 10 stuff. I had one guy, I have one guy who trained for a couple five K's and, you know, obviously he's, he's working more in that realm, but, um, most of my guys are true distance guys and gals are true distance runners. And yeah. so they're doing, um, not much of that, but a lot more in the steady state threshold and VO2 max interval kind of stuff. But yeah, cool. Yeah. No, that's cool. And see how you like set it up too. It's not just like, Hey, like, okay, this is like the RP fail. This is what it should feel like. Like you actually give them like a test to like really figure that out too. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially when we're talking about trail and ultra stuff, it's like, yeah. honestly, I got, I got a little bit, uh, you know, got into a conversation with the, the people I'm an ambassador with because they put out training plans for local trail races and yeah. it'll, it'll say like run 25 miles in preparation for the 50 mile race or whatever. Um, yeah. it'll say run 25 miles. And, and then like 22 the next week and then like 20 the week after that. And these people are running like on the course, right? So there's an average of 220 feet per mile gain and gain uh, per or 440 change, uh, elevation change per mile average, you know? So the average person is running like these are like four five, six, seven hour long runs every weekend. And I'm like, this is like, and I even told them, I said, look, when these training, when people are in these training plans, cause the race is in May. So like March, April, time period. I'm like, I get tons of inquiries through my website from injured runners on that training plan. And, (laughs) and, uh, so now they've kind of revamped it and they use, they use, you know, uh, more of time-based stuff. Okay. Okay. Yep. Great. But related to your question, how I prescribe long runs for trail ultra, just mountain running. Um, that might be so that I do that specifically as well. Um, so let's say somebody's training for that race, the quad rock 25 or 50 your long run. If I say I want to, you know, three hour long run, it, it, it gets a little tricky sometimes because if we want to train specifically for the race, we know this race has 220 feet per mile gain on average throughout the race. So that the way you figure that out for your race is you just, um, the race, we could just use the, yeah. So the 50 miler has 11,000 feet of climbing in it. So you just take 11,000 and you divide that by 50 miles. You get approximately 220 feet per mile, um, is how you do that. So then when you're planning your long runs, you kind of need to look at it as, okay, AJ wants me doing three hours this weekend. Now I should pick a route that I'm, I'm running on average about 220 feet per mile average in the whole run. Yeah. So maybe, so for some, some people that might only be like 10 miles, Mm -hmm. right. 10 mm-hmm. miles with 2,200 feet of climbing right. could be a three hour yeah. long run. Right. right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so that's kind of how people have to plan their long runs and all that stuff. Yeah. That's fun though. That's fun. I like it. Um, very cool. What, do you feel like you have resistance at first when you're like, Hey, we're not using pace and we're not using distance, you know, like, do you get resistance at first from runners? <laughs> not usually like okay. maybe one you. comment <laughs> or something about how they need to get used to it, but, mm-hmm. but that's about it. Okay. Well, that's I good. Did- yeah, it's honestly, I did, I went into the, my, the local trail running group and I've done like live trainings on this and, you know, there's even, there was even a great paper by, um, God, I think it was a Max Paquette or anyway, uh, there was, is something about like retiring, um, the use of, of tracking weekly miles, mm-hmm. right. It's just this small kind of, you know, just talking about miles, you're just forgetting all of these other training volume and training kind of load parameters. So, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I love it. Oh, that's cool. That's good that there's like not resistance. And what do you think the biggest benefit you've seen from anyone that like, let's say they come in, you know, working miles and pace, you know, in the past and now they're not at all. What's the biggest benefit you've seen from them? Yeah. So basically when we're, when we're reflecting on our effort, your brain and your body is like this crazy supercomputer. We can't, we can't even really comprehend completely. And it's, it's analyzing like your body temperature and your hydration status and your your inflammatory markers and how many, how much, you know, filled your glycogen stores are and all this stuff and how hot it is outside and all this stuff. So your, your brain is just constantly kind of um, analyzing that and it's going to give you a, a certain length leash more or less. And there's a lot of this is kind of like central governor kind of theory stuff. And not all of it is completely the way it is, but um, it's just a great way to kind of look at this general concept. The reality, the concept is that you feel different on different days, depending on how much sleep you have, depending on how hot it is outside. Yeah. Like I just, I did a 40 minute steady state interval yesterday and I did the same exact interval last week and um, on the same exact gravel path. And this week, I know for a fact, because we had company and they had kids and sleep and just busyness. So from a stress and sleep perspective, I was not on, on, you know, tuned up. Yep. Um, also I did my, that workout in the after, in the evening when it was, it was 90 degrees and I don't usually run in the evenings cause I wanted to join the group run that day for my warm up. Um, so I had all these variables working against me and long story short is compared to the last week where I did my run in the morning, probably slept better, fueled better. And it was cooler at the start cause it was way early in the morning. My grade adjusted pace pace was 30 seconds slower yesterday. Than yeah. it was, but, but my heart rate was actually one, one beat per minute higher. <laughs> yep. So, uh, crazy amount of difference in performance and how I felt and all that stuff. And so the reality is if somebody was using a pace to guide their interval instead of effort, they would have blown themselves up Yeah. Yeah. because their body was like, Hey, I need, we need to let off the gas a little bit yeah. because of X, Y, and Z. Right. And so now, now we're talking about listening to your body and how important that is because you can prevent burnout. You could prevent maybe unnecessary, or I won't say overtraining is a very serious term. Not a lot of people get there, but over yeah. <laughs> unnecessary overreaching or non-functional overreaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could prevent injury or reduce, you know, injury with just listening to your body and just how you feel. And so running at a certain, for a certain time at a certain effort, is going to be the way you do that. And your pace is going to be in flux depending on, and how far you go is going to vary depending on how you felt, yeah. which is all you should really kind of care about. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for sharing on that. I think it's just helpful to hear and good for all of us. So let's, I know, and you just let me know he has a kid sleeping. So if he wakes up or whatnot, you just oh, let me good. know, but yeah. let's, uh, I want to dive into the business side for any of the clinicians sure. or coaches that listen to this too. AJ and I were talking and, you know, he, like I said, at the beginning of this episode, he has his own business. He's coaching. He is doing, you know, physical therapy, rehab in the clinic, running himself. He's a new dad. He's a husband. All all of this, like how look, we want to dive into a discussion a little bit about how you manage it all and like tips that you found to help you for anyone else that's new in this journey um, or anyone that's in this journey, we can always learn from each other. So um, I know that's pretty broad, but just, let's just start with, you know, what tips you have for someone trying to like basically do it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously priorities, you start with priorities, right? So like, yeah, I'm in this unique situation where 
I'm actually only in the clinic about three days a week um, because uh, we don't have daycare. And, you know, Brady was born just before COVID, born January 2020. So when my wife got back to work was when the lockdown started. (laughs) So we never had daycare and we've just kept it that way. And so I am in the clinic three days per week. And so that leaves me about two or three days per week to work from home, days I watch him and I can do coaching, I can do business stuff, I can do documentation, marketing, whatever. And so that's, that's kind of what I do. It's very hard with a kid though, where like nap time is when I get a lot done and stuff like that. But when he's awake, like because he's been running with me in the stroller since he was three or four months old, like I, you know, he's, he's used to that. He likes that. And so I can get a lot of training in during the week on these days where I'm home with him because we just, we run in the stroller. Now, obviously I'm not going to get to the mountains, right? Yeah. But I'm somebody who I believe, I truly believe that as long, you know, if you can get to the mountains once a week, especially for your long run, you can train for these mountain races. You don't need yeah. to be in the mountains every single day. Right. Um, so anyway, I'm doing a lot of my training with the stroller. I've done, you know, stroller strides and I've left him at the bottom of the hill and done hill strides. Like <laughs> I've done all these things. Um, <laughs> oh, and, I, did not, I have a good story on that, but um, anyways, we'll go ahead. I was with a friend once we were doing, uh, we were just doing strides at the end of a run and oh, I shouldn't even share this. She got the police call on her. Cause we had like the stroller was left like so many feet away from it. And like, it was anyways, but we were doing strides and like, I felt bad and she felt bad. And anyways, uh, side note, I just thought of that. <laughs> yeah. I get some looks. I don't know if they're judgy looks or whatever, but I'm like, I'm like, I'm gone. Like I'm not even a minute. He's always yeah. in eye shot right. and he he's not crying. It's yeah. like, he's fine. Like, leave me alone. Leave us alone. Yes, like, yes. you know, I'll do my own parenting. Thank you. But anyway. <laughs> yes. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny. My coach will even put in my, in my workout notes on training peaks. She's like, you know, uh, speed play with the baby. Um, you know, cause I'll tell her what days I'm home with the baby. Yeah. And, she knows. and, she, and she's like, just don't lose the baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's kind of funny, but, but anyway, so it's just this constant juggle and stuff like that. With So there's priorities, right? And so you have to make money. You got to get your work in, you got to take care of the baby. Right. So I, I prioritize that. Um, you know, my, my wife and I, we've decided that I need a day off once per week where I'm not doing work and I'm, and I'm not training. And so I have that one day on the, on the weekend and that's our only day we have together completely. So yeah. we, we do something there. So you got to lay your priorities um, for your longevity in your business and your sport with running and your relationship. And so yep. that's all really important, number one. And then there's, you know, you just got to make it work in whatever way possible. So, you know, when I hired a coach a couple months ago, I was like, I really want to hit this training for the 100 miler really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I am training a lot. Like I, I clicked off like 12 hours of training last 12 hours of running last week. So yep. um, fitting that in has been, it's, it's kind of hard, you know? So I, what I had to do was I used to be flexible with when patients could, could book. And yep. I used to allow sometimes people to book as early as seven 30 in the morning at, in my clinic. And sometimes I get stuck working there all the way till, or let people book late as well. Mm-hmm. And my wife prefers that I train in the morning. And so what I do is I do all of my training as best as possible on days where I'm not watching the, the baby. When I'm watching him, I can train whenever I want, basically, as long <laughs> as he's not napping. But um, I'll do, so I don't even take appointments now before 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I, I created that kind of boundary. Yep. And that's just like a hard stop. Like if somebody's like, I can only yep. do, I've never had this, but you know, when they, we'll get there, yes. when, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But um, I've never had anybody say, I can only do, 8am on in the mornings or whatever. Um, but anyway, I just tell people I don't open till eight until 9am. Yep. 
Um, and I get my training done before that. So creating boundaries like that is huge. Um, yeah. Do you have any other specific questions relating to all that juggling? Yeah, I guess. So I guess we just go into like, yeah, how do you, you went into how you set your schedule up a little bit and like, so priorities, um, what, I guess you could just share, like, how do you set up your schedule as far as, so you said you start at nine and then you're three days in the clinic. Um, you have set times that they can book or is it the rest of the day that you're open or? Yeah. So typically what I, so I got pretty busy like two months ago, I started getting pretty busy. Um, so a little bit died off in the last week or two, but, um, or three or so, but when I started to get really busy, I was like, I'm just spending so much time trying to get people on this, like scheduling people. Like yeah. if, you know, when somebody's in my clinic and I see them for a follow-up, we'll book the next follow-up while we're there. Yeah. But a lot of this, like, you know, somebody reaching out to me, when can I get in? When can, when blah, 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 right. blah. And what I've been doing, what I switched to is I give, I just give out a self-booking link and I just okay, people, they use a you know, scheduling link. Okay, just, yeah. hey, use online scheduling. I'll block yeah. out any times they need to block out. And I just let people schedule online. And that saved me a lot of time. Yep. I just re- recently switched to a different PT kind of management system. So I was just using everything on Google G, uh, G Suite and I switched okay. to P- PT everywhere. Okay. So yeah. it's been a lot of setup and stuff, but eventually that'll buy me back some time with, with the efficiency and stuff there. Yeah. 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 No, I think having a scheduling is very helpful. Like, cause I, so I use like Calendly for, I'm mainly online. Right. So, um, but like, I have it pretty, for me, this is what I've liked to do. Some people would say like opposite, but I have it very like pretty specific. Like these are the times I'll take, you know, podcast interviews. These are the times I'll take, um, you know, if it's any run coaching calls, these are the times that I'll take clinician coaching. This is the time, like everything, like, and I, you know, kind of have it down to like what works for me, but also where my energy levels are at too. Like, I know, like there's certain times of the days that I'm better at taking certain, I don't know. Anyways. So I just use a calendar link for, for everything. And also like you said, like setting the boundaries. And I think that just comes with time, like figuring that out, um, mm-hmm. as you figure out what works for you and that, the boundaries really are for you. Like the clients will schedule when you have available, like we don't have to be available for them 24 <laughs> seven. Like it's just not, we can't be productive that way as business owners. <laughs> yeah, of course. Definitely set those boundaries for sure. That's huge. How about like, you know, anything else you found with, um, like, I guess on your side of things, like being a new dad, like to me, I don't know that side of things like that you've had to change if you didn't have a kid, right? Like anything there that's had to change. <laughs> I mean, just, just the fact that you, you know, I can't, I can't just go and run on the trail or in the mountains multiple times per week. Now I used to do that. And, you know, now it's like, you know, if I, every time I do that, I have to leave my wife with with the kid Yeah. and you know, she needs a break too. And so there are even there. So there's, so there's days where she needs a break and I'm home. And I would, if, if I didn't have a kid, I would just, you go to the mountains and run, but instead I'm like, Hey, do you want me to take Brady on a, on a, on a run? And she's like, yeah, you know, and I, I, I could have, cause she's home. She could have watched the kid, but you know, I choose to, to you know, run on the bike paths on concrete with yeah. the stroller instead, because I can, yeah. and because that's part of the balance of everything. So I guess just, if you're going to have a kid, um, <laughs> life will never be the same. It's, it's harder you know, it's harder than, than you think it is, but it's also yeah. more rewarding than you think it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just never, it just, yeah, it just won't be the same, but yeah. Yeah. This is what it is. Like you just make adjustments. Like last year, like I said, I, I knew I wouldn't be getting to the trails a whole ton. So like I said, I trained for the road half and then, you know, I, I got in as, the, as he got older, 
throughout the year. I did the trail half and then I did the trail marathon, but yeah, accommodate your schedule for the year you have a kid and maybe the year after, but they get older and a little bit more independent, I guess. I'm not there yet though. (laughs) So I'll let you know how that works. I don't know. (laughs) That's awesome. What, um, so I know that you recently, um, like from a marketing perspective, um, started getting more of your clients through ads, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that was super helpful for you too. Do you feel like that was helpful in in a sense of like getting your time back to that you weren't doing all your, having to do all your own marketing per se? Well, I do, I do all my own, my own marketing, but, um, so the guys I work with, they teach how they basically teach you how to do your marketing. Oh, mainly okay. They don't Facebook ads, but they give you a lot of, a lot of templates and this and that and stuff like that. Um, but, but it's been great and it's so worth it because I mean, I, I found them and the reason why I committed to working with them back last June, 2020 was because I was in such, I was in the COVID rut. Yeah. Yeah. Climb out of it. And so they were like, here, try this, you know, system. And yeah. And I, I ran some Facebook ads and I got 40, I got like 40 leads in the first five weeks and, awesome. you know, had like some ridiculous return on investment. Like, yeah. yeah. So and now, yeah. And so I've continued to work with them. And so just to give them credit, you know, it's, it's clinical marketer is yep. what they're called with Jordan Mather and, and, um, and Max Zerbel and yep. Ben, Ben Baggy, Ben Beige. Yeah. So, um, they're great. So if you're looking for Facebook ads, marketing help, they're freaking game changer. No, that's awesome. Yeah. You're totally cool to plug them. I've met them before. They're awesome. So (laughs) no, that's good to know just, you know, from a marketing perspective for, you know, any PTs listening and whatnot too. (laughs) Yeah. If you haven't run any sort of successful Facebook ad, you're just leaving probably like like loads and loads of money on the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's right there. (laughs) So easy. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, anything else you wanted to share on like balancing, balancing it all? I know. I mean, I guess I asked you a question. I talk, sorry. I do that sometimes. <laughs> uh, I know like for me, it's like, you know, sometimes it's also like our other friends that aren't in business. It can be like, you're going to show up a little bit differently. Cause you got more on your plate now. Like, I feel like I, I've heard some people, I can't attest. I don't know. Like relate, like owning a new business is similar to like having a baby. Right. I can't say if it's similar, but I don't know. But, um, but if you do both at the same time, then it's really like Mm -hmm. your priorities have to change. Um, but anyways, any, any other advice you have for people trying to do it all? (laughs) No, just obviously, you know, try to put systems in place of things that work that help you be more efficient and win back your time. Um, realistic goals. Um, you know, hiring a coach for my running has been good in the sense that I don't have to worry about what I'm doing and planning out my running and training. And that saves me time. But then again, she is also pushing me and making me run more than I would have ran myself, but which is probably going to yield some good results. But, you know, so getting people in your team, in your corner, right. Um, the, I have the clinical marketer guys from a business perspective. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, my coach from a running perspective and then my wife from the baby perspective, right. Yep. I have all these people in my corner, in my support system. And so if you don't have a support system, you're not going to be successful. So, yep. Or if you are successful, it's just not going to last. You're going to burn out. So yeah, you got to think of, think of the long game. Yep. Nope. I love it. Awesome. Cool. I am. So I'll, we'll end with the last question. I usually end with, with the podcast, but I just wanted to do one, like kind of like rapid fire questions. Um, I don't know if you're ready for this. No, it's just really quick. So for anyone answer, I'm just going to ask your favorite on a few things. And then 
and then we'll wrap up with that. So do you have a favorite mindset and or business book? Anything first thing that comes to mind? Nope. And honestly, I will admit that I have not read a whole ton of them. Okay. That's not big. Okay. Next question was, what's your favorite running book? Do you read a lot of running books? Do you have a favorite? Oh boy. <laughs> or I read, so I read born to run twice and I okay. love the story. Hate the science. It's horrible science. <laughs> I, you know, eat and run is, was Scott Jurek's book. And I, I he was always a, a mentor, uh, not a mentor, uh, a, an idol of mine kind of, because, you know, I'm a vegan ultra yes. runner, physical therapist. And he's a vegan ultra runner, physical therapist. And then I met him in Boulder on the trail once, but oh, cool. <laughs> um, I've read, you know, Dean Karnassus's book, you know, ultra, ultra marathon man and a couple others, you know, there's some good ones out there. It, oh, indoor by Alex Hutchinson. That's a great book for any run. If you work okay. with runners or you're a runner, it's like a must read. Okay. I think that's an, uh, I feel like I have heard of it, but I haven't, that's kind of a newer one to me as far yep. as like totally. hearing of it a lot. Okay, cool. And then what's your favorite strength exercise to give to runners? <laughs> Ooh. No, we can't just have one anyways. But. I love barbell toe tap. So the lateral toe tap is like a Chris Johnson branded exercise. Yeah. And, you know, typically most people do it with like a band around their knees and it's kind of hard to describe, but you're basically in this like pseudo kind of quarterback position. Like you're going to take a hike from, yep. your, from your center. And, uh, but anyway, you're kind of in that position and then you stabilize your entire, you know, your lumbopelvic region and you just tap your leg out to the side. And it's a really good lumbopelvic strengthening, you know, lateral hip strengthening exercise for runners. Yeah. Um, but I love, I love it when I can take it to the next level with people <laughs> and put them on, put them in a barbell, get mm-hmm. a barbell on your back and, you know, get rid of the band and just really low people, you know, axially with a barbell and yep. um, get them loading a ton of weight on there. I remember I posted about it once uh, doing a barbell toe tap and, and then Chris Johnson had, mentioned something about, he was bragging about something about, uh, doing like 300 pounds or something once. So then Adam and I were like, what? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They were like, let's see how much we can do. So I went and of course I had to beat him and I did, I did three plates. So I had 315 pounds and I was able to do a set of five repetitions. So, okay. How did that feel like to be at your max? Was it just like, I better not take a step away. I'm going to drop this thing. Or honestly, honestly, I bring it up because it was eye opening at how, how much more weight I could put on my back than I thought and how intense and focused and amazing that exercise is because my huge pet peeve with runners and strength and rehab is runners are underloaded from a strength training perspective. Right, They're doing, right. ger- like I said earlier, like geriatric exercises. I've worked with geriatric, love it. I mean, geriatric <laughs> patients, but athletes are not geriatric patients. And actually I used, it was funny because I, when I was working with geriatric patients, I was having them do squats and kettlebell swings and, and deadlifts, yep. and yep. People, you know, anyway, but now we're talking about younger active adults and athletes, we got to load them up, you know, how do we expect them to be able to be resilient and and resist kind of the demands of the physical demands of the sport. So um, anyway, it's just great eye opener in terms of like how intense we can make this exercise and how focal to the lumbopelvic and lateral hip region. Um, Anyway, it's just great eye opener in terms of like how intense we can make this exercise and how focal to the lumbopelvic and lateral hip region. But anyway, that's not a rapid fire answer, but <laughs> that's okay. It's all good. <laughs> so I want to try it now. I actually don't, I don't think I've ever, I know, I know. I've I'll send you my post. Of course I okay. put it on Instagram <clears throat> when I did the three plates, but I'll send yes. you my post. I mean, I can't even imagine like just having all that, like I've done it with a band before, but yeah. And it's a lot of weight. You know, I'm, I have a lot of experience putting a lot of weight on my back on yeah. a barbell. Not everybody's comfortable with that, especially right. runners who are a little bit more green to strength training, but, right. um, but you know, you could use a barbell pad 
yeah. the problem with that is, is this can get very balancey. So oh, sometimes yeah. I have people put the um, safety rails up oh, like yeah. about, you know, peck or chest yeah. height. And that way you can get in that kind of toe tap position. And if you were to fail, worst case, you just, you just catch on the safety, safety rails. Yeah. But um, the barbell pad just makes it a little bit more wobbly. Okay. Okay. No, that'd be a good, good one to try. Be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay. Those were the only ones I had. We could totally go into a lot more. I know I was like, Oh, you like, you're a vegan runner too. We didn't talk about anything there, but that could be a whole nother. I did just get my labs back today. I'm curious what my dietitian says about my labs being vegan training as hard as I am, but is she, is she okay with you being vegan? I mean, there's tons. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. I, and I, this is not my expertise. I did notice like my ferritin was like 24. So ferritin's like iron stores. Um, so I was just doing some online, you know, so within it's within normal range technically of like a general medical approach. But, um, then I was like looking at these articles and endurance athletes, you typically one, one article said like, you want to see at least like 35 or something and then uh, or 40 to 50 and then there yeah. was one post that said something along the lines of like stage two iron deficient non-anemia being ferritin less than less than 20 or something like that anyway Dang. you should send me that actually i've never tested higher than 18 i've had as low as seven i think so oh, that's okay. it's actually always been an issue i've had in so my maybe age. i'm fine <laughs> well yeah compared to me you're fine so that doesn't <laughs> yeah. say much i when i get into some more serious training that's one thing i like crash and burn last time i was getting from like low ferritin and um it's been an ongoing issue of mine so but yeah mine was 24 it says normal is 18 to 460 <clears throat> um, but but how long have, okay i'll just ask really quick then we'll wrap yeah up. no go for it how long have you been vegan? And like, why did you go vegan? And there's a ton, I mean, ultra, I feel like all ultra runners, not all that's excessive, but a lot of ultra runners are vegan. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my, so my dad, he, he died of sudden cardiac death at, okay. at 51 years old. Wow. And that was when I was in college studying a lot of nutrition, exercise science stuff. Yeah. And I was just learning more and more. I had this huge experience, tragic experience with my dad yeah. who basically he was he was pretty healthy. He was running marathons. I think he ran a few ultras and he was mostly vegetarian and, and then just drops dead of severe cardiac disease and like complete blockages in his heart and his coronary arteries. So yeah, I'm like, Holy moly. Like, and then you hear about these stories of people who, you know, like their dad, you know, you hear these stories, generationally people dying, same gender, first degree relatives dying at similar ages generation after generation. I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't want that to happen. And yes, I don't want to die at 50. Yeah. So like unexpectedly like that. So, um, I started getting all these checkups, of course, everything's fine. And I keep getting checkups. I haven't gotten a calcium scoring yet, which is going to be the gold standard, but, um, just cause they said it's kind of excessive right now. So, um, I, I took away red meat first, uh, first and foremost, this was over, this was probably like 10 to 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, took, got rid of pork and red meat. And then a couple of years later, we got rid of, you know, chicken and, and eggs. No, we got rid of eggs later on um, when we made the final change, I think. We did the little fish for a while. But okay. then, so we were basically like ovo-lacto pescatarian or whatever for yeah, a yeah, while. Yeah. And then it was so funny because it was Halloween. And I'm like, I'm going to eat all this candy because like I do every Halloween. <laughs> so I've been wanting to go full vegan. Why don't I just like use that as an excuse to start to go, you know, to go vegan and just take it all off the table. Yeah. Um, there's dumb. There were obviously greater motivating factors there, but, um, that was, that was right after that was 2016, October, 2016. 
So I've been okay. vegan for five, almost four and a half years or so. Yeah. Have you found it been beneficial, like from an energy running standpoint? Or is it oh, more reasons? I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. It's hard to say. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it feels similar. So it's more from like your health perspective and like, Oh, totally. Yeah. From and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there's the whole environmental and ethical yeah. kind of things that you also end up adopting because, but that those aren't my main motivators, but just yeah. also just other factors. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I always like learning about that. I have a good friend that, you know, she's all plant-based and all that stuff too. And I've never, I've gone, I went vegetarian for two weeks once, but I've always been like, maybe I'll try it once just to see how I feel. I don't know. Well, yeah, totally. And uh, to each their own and everybody responds Mm -hmm. differently and, and everybody's journey is different. I'm not like looking at what material, like bags and shirts are made out of. I'm not like, you know, I'm still eating, I eat honey. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time. I know we've chatted for a while. It's been super helpful. I've loved getting to learn from you. Yeah, I know good. everyone else will love it too. Um, I like to end every podcast episode with asking my guests what their breaking five moment has been um, in their running career. So basically just any running goal, any you know story too of a goal that you had that you broke that seemed pretty challenging or, and, or that you didn't know if you'd be able to break, um, or if it's not there yet, you can share what it will be for the future. Um, but what is your breaking five moment been for your running? Yeah. And I've listened to your podcast and I think people, there's like the, f- the physical running one. And then there's like the business one. Yeah. And you can share know. both. You can totally share both too. <laughs> yeah. So, so running is, so I, this race, this hundred miler I'm training for, I, I, I DN after did not finish, um, dropped out at mile 73, 75 at, you know, after 21 hours of running and just <clears throat> tragic, tragic. It was because, you know, I went out too hard. My knees totally, the most painful knees in my life. I couldn't even walk anymore. My wife was at the aid station. Was like, You're not continuing. Um, so I dropped out and it's just been, it's just haunted me ever since. And I actually have a good podcast episode um, about that on my podcast um, reflection. But anyway, so that has haunted me ever since. And I'm back at it now trying to crush this hundred miler. And so, you know, that's, that's my breaking five running moment is going to be crossing the finish line of this, of this hundred miler in September. So um, that's that. And then I don't know, from a business perspective, I really think um, there's maybe like a short-term one and a long-term one, but the short-term one would be, I just want to be in the stage where I can like hire on, you know, an admin and another PT. And I honestly got so busy a couple months ago, I thought I was going to get there. But um, that's like the first one. But then like the long-term kind of breaking five business thing is like, I want a brick and mortar, like run studio where we're, you know, this PT coaching, strength and conditioning, like this little mini gym for runners would be so cool. Because you're in that one rock climbing place right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just renting space from there. So, but having like my own real, like running place um, where maybe it's like multidisciplinary and I hire on me, who knows? Yep. exercise physiologist for testing, maybe bring on a dietitian. Maybe, I mean, this is like crazy, huge dream, but like, no, you could do it and you can do it like two years easily. Right. <laughs> we'll see. It depends on how many loans you want to take out. And I don't want to take out any. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, that's always like, but you know, even when you were like, I was always ready to hire. I think that's always, as far as I know, obviously I'm still early in my business too. It's like, that's always like the breaking point of like, oh, it's, there's always a risk involved with, but also it helps you grow. And it's like, where do you need to be when you do that? Totally. Right. It's always that ongoing kind of, yeah. Process. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. Well, you'll have to share with us when you do both. You said, wait, a hundred miler. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you have not completed a hundred miler before then, right? Nope. Okay. 
but you will in a few months. So, mm -hmm. okay, cool. That's crazy, but also that's it's just a whole nother world. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so, one day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you want it, it's there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but awesome. Well, AJ, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can our listeners find you? Where's the best place for our listeners to find you at? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at, at up and running PT. So U P A N D running PT.com or not.com. It is up and running PT.com, but <laughs> at up and running PT on Instagram. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the main one. You can shoot me a message or comment on anything. Um, reach out with any questions. Um, yeah, my website, like I said before, is up and running PT.com. There's a bunch of free resources on there, just downloadable things like a, there's like an aging runner infographic. There's a strength training for runners or star SD4R <laughs> um, <laughs> video series that um, walks runners through just basic tra strength training exercises and principles, just stuff like that. So awesome. Yes. Yeah. So check, so on your website is where they can check out those free resources, correct? Yep. That's correct. Awesome. Well, yes, go on there, download them for any of the runners listening, um, reach out if there's any questions you had or anything you really resonated with. Um, anything else you wanted to share before we wrap this up? No, that's it. Just thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on. And it's fun to have the other half of the duo of the making stride podcasts on. So yeah, definitely. For sure. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Thank you so much to AJ. Um, everyone else, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Breaking Five, a running podcast. We will be back again next week. And until then, go run your life and have a great rest of your day, everyone. Bye, guys. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Breaking Five, a running podcast. We hope you are running away with some inspiration, tips, and actionable items that you can put towards your Breaking Five moment. Lastly, if you know anyone else with a Breaking Five moment, that doesn't have to actually mean literally breaking five, just a breaking five moment in general, in running, in life, or anyone else who has great knowledge and background in helping others reach their breaking five moment, I would love for you to put me in contact with them. We would love to have them on the show. So if you could and let them know, if you know of someone else, tell them to reach out to me at my Instagram, and that is at Kristen underscore run your life. Again, that's at Kristen underscore run your life. And could you do me a favor? And if you enjoyed today's episode and can think of anyone else who could benefit from listening to it, could you go ahead and share this out on your social media or share this directly with them? That would mean the world to me, seriously. And make sure if you have not already, to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so that you get our weekly updates as we drop the next episodes. Thank you, everyone. We seriously appreciate you tuning in today. We'll see you next time. And until then, go run your life.